Good morning, church. I know it was only two songs, but oh, that, that time in praise and worship through song and praise is so powerful. Uh, it's so real. You know, especially that, that last song, you know, it's talking about here I am to worship. Here I am to worship. And when I hear that, it, it, it just, the Lord just puts this light in my head and it just makes me think of in everything we do, the way we think, the way we think of others, the way we act, the way we're honest before the Lord, that's all worship. Worship bleeds into every area of life. He desires those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And I think this morning we, we, we must recognize that it's the inner person that needs to be renewed daily. And it's the inner person that has that connection to the Holy Spirit. Because when we're all going to depart and go off into eternity to be with the Lord in heaven forever, none of us are going to be on our deathbeds thinking about, I wish I would have, I wish I would have bought that other product. <laughs> or I, I, I wish I, I would have had a different title at work. Or I wish I, 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 I would have I purchased something else for the house. No, we're going to be concerned about all the intrinsic things, the things that we can't see. We were talking about that in prayer just a minute ago. We're going to be concerned about the relationships that we had with people. And we're probably going to regret that we didn't spend enough time with those that we loved or claim we love. And we didn't get right with people we, need, we needed to get right to. Or we didn't forgive and extend a hand of mercy to those who needed it. And most importantly, we're probably going to reflect on the fact that, unfortunately, we probably wasted a lot of time and didn't, we weren't as serious about our relationship with the Lord as we should have been. But let me encourage you today, church, that... You and I have that opportunity to get right with the Lord and get right with others and walk around with a clean slate, with a clean heart. As David said, creating me a clean heart, renewing me a right spirit. He, he understood the importance of, of God cleansing him from the inside out. And there's nothing that you and I can do that cannot be forgiven except continually blaspheming the Holy Spirit and grieving Him and not responding to the call in our lives. But if you're a true believer, reborn in Christ, you're going to sense the conviction and you won't be able to enjoy your sin. Right? Amen? Yeah. I can't enjoy my sin. <laughs> Ask my wife. <laughs> it don't last long. <laughs> you know, then my prayers aren't getting answered and it's a whole, you know, it's not a good thing. <laughs> but with that... Um, I just wanted to share a couple things before I, I get into the, the text this morning. I, and, and the Lord has revealed these things to me this week, and I've just been uh, very grateful for it. So the first thing is uh, the Lord gave me a revelation this, this, this week, and, and it's blown my mind. It's totally given me a breakthrough that, that uh, I've been looking for for quite some time. It's nothing profound, but as you know, I'm constantly praying for a vision for the church and direction for the church, and, and Lord, what, what, what are we supposed to do? And, you know, we, we don't look like all these other churches, and we don't have all these outreach ministries and this and that. And the Lord just quieted my heart, and it was, do believe, Wednesday evening, 
I'm always praying for a vision. <laughs> and the Lord's like, the vision is me. The vision is Jesus Christ. The vision is him all together through and through. And that is it. Because the Lord revealed to me, if my, if my vision is fixed, if my heart is fixed on him, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and everything else will be added on to you what you truly need. So I don't have to be concerned about this church and the direction of this church and what we're supposed to be doing and what we're not doing and this and that and comparing. And it's not about that. He's like, trust in me. May I be your portion, Kefin. And I'm saying that to you today as the church. May Jesus Christ be your portion. Because when he becomes your portion in your life for real, for real, then everything else will work itself out. Traveling mercies and I got health issues, this and that. I got family issues. I'm not saying we shouldn't lift those things up. But what moves the heart of God, as I've been learning in these last few months, more and more every day, is seeking after him. I don't want to just know Bible verses. I want to experience the Lord in my life. I want to see the manifested reality of his presence and love in me all the days of my life. That is. Seeking after that will move God's heart and that will open up the floodgates of heaven and that will pour out from him everything that you and I need. And so I share that with you today, church, because that's where we're at. I'm sorry if it's not specific enough for you. I don't know if it is. If it isn't, I, I don't have a three point uh, you know, plan on, on what we're going to do with allocating funds to this and that. I don't know about all that. <laughs> I just know Jesus Christ has to be the center of this church or it's just a social club and we might as well not even come. So be encouraged that Christ is the vision. Christ is the vision for your life. I'll share this other little thing because it was very profound. I was on my way to work Tuesday morning and, and many of you know, now we have a little bit better weather. Um, you know, it was really uh, raining. Uh, what, I don't know, the atmospheric river. I mean, they come up with all kinds of titles. Maybe it's scientific and it's valid, whatever. But uh, we had this, this storm, you know, Tuesday, and I'm driving on 680 to San Jose, and, you know, I'm just on the freeway, and, and, and it's just dark. All the clouds you see are dark. And then all of a sudden, kind of right in the middle, it just was open, and there was this pocket full of, of bright light. And, and, and the sun peering through and it almost looked as if it's like a glimpse into heaven, <laughs> you know, and, and what the Lord revealed to me in that moment as I'm driving is, you know, you're looking at all these dark. I mean, literally it was surrounding the dark clouds were surrounding the freeway from everywhere and all around. That's the broad road that leads to destruction and many are on it. And, and that little break in all those clouds where that light, where that pure light was shining, piercing through, that's the narrow gate that is Christ. And, and you and I as believers, we're not, we know we're not saved by works, but the Bible is clear that we must strive through that narrow gate. That means you and I have to put effort into it. That means you and I have to be thoughtful of our thought life. And we have to denounce and rebuke any unclean thought that comes in. And not allow ourselves to come into agreement with these satanic thoughts that cause us to drift away from the Lord. But we must purpose in our mind all of these things. And that's why memorizing scripture is so important. Not, not merely for rote sake. 
but because the Word of God is living and active and it's sharper than any double-edged sword and it cuts to the heart and the marrow of every circumstance and every situation. And when you have God's Word deep within you and your spirit is witnessing the Holy Spirit, there's power in that. Power to break these bondages, power to break the curses of Satan and these demonic forces that are constantly trying to make your life and my life a living hell and make us miserable. You don't have to live in misery today, church. Know that Jesus has the power to anoint you and to bless you and to break off all those things that are trying to drag you into bondage. So I share those things because those, those were just a couple things that happened in my life this week. But I, but I felt in, in my spirit it was important to share that with you. Get the vision. Get Christ. Amen? Amen. This morning we're taking a break from the book of James. And uh, we're celebrating the triumphal entry of Jesus going into Jerusalem, riding upon a donkey. You know, again, we, we don't do these things for just merely tradition's sake. But it's important for us to go back to the basics and understand why we celebrate the days we celebrate and why it's important to your faith and my faith. So with that, uh, if you can and you're able to, please stand for the reading of God's word. We'll be in John, the book of John chapter 12, and we'll read from verses 12 down through 19. Once again, this message is entitled The Triumphal Entry. Veronica added those little palm branches sounds. <laughs> I thought I was gonna throw. I was gonna. I thought I was gonna throw off Michelle when she was praying. It threw. It threw me off. I was like, "What?" <laughs> but it's all good. All right, we're starting in verse twelve, and it says, "The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord.'" even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Let us pray. Abba, thank you again for just this opportunity to come before you lord in the in the presence of of your people and most importantly before you we humble ourselves and we thank you for this great gift of your son jesus the messiah the only one who can forgive sin and redeem one's life from uh, the pit of death into eternal life with you forever thank you so much that you felt it necessary to send your only begotten son into this world lord the world you created and you gave your life as a ransom for whoever would respond to the conviction that you placed upon their hearts Father, I pray that the supernatural anointing of, of your mighty word would be upon all of us and through the power of the Holy Spirit and the unction of him, we would be able to rightly divide your word, that we would understand your word, that you would show us application from your word for our lives and that we would walk it out, that we would live out 
this truth. Help us to be confident in you. Help us to believe that you are true and righteous. Help us to see clearly the difference between lightness and darkness. And may we walk in the light of you all the days of our lives. Father, we thank you and we praise you for your gift, for your son, Jesus Christ, for it is in his name that we pray. Amen and amen. All right. So a little bit of quick, quick background um, as before we get into the bulk of, of, of this passage. So about a, a week before Passover, Jesus had gone to Bethany to visit Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, where many of us are familiar with uh, th- this setting and everything that went on here. Um, this was when Mary anointed Jesus' feet, right, with the expensive perfume, and, uh, you know, Judas Iscariot, what, he complained about it. He's like, <laughs> he's like, this is such value, this could have been it turned into money and, and we could have given to the poor and, and helped the poor. But remember, uh, you know, it wasn't in his heart. <laughs> he was in charge of the money bag. He just wanted to get a portion for himself. He really had no desire to help the poor and those in need. Also at this time, the chief priests, they had devised a plot not only to kill Jesus, the Messiah, but they wanted to off Lazarus as well because they're like, you know, this man raised from the dead is is not a good look for us. And they were quivering in their boots of of, of this this manifested miracle, this reality that's taking place and is drawing more people to Jesus and his teachings. And so they wanted to off both of them. And this is what was going on in in our text this morning uh, leading up to this point. Um, again, this encouraged the religious leaders of that day further and further in their plot of murder, all because of pride, all because of jealousy, all because of their own personal insecurities, their desire for what they thought was power, what they thought was influence, but they fell in love with the lust of power and influence and prestige, and they didn't realize that they should have been the humble servants, because Jesus is the most humble of servants. He came not to, not to be served, but to serve. But yet they wanted to be in their, their nice clothes, and they wanted to be esteemed in front of all the people, and they wanted to be regarded in a certain light. And so for that, their plot for murder thickened. And these are the events that lead us to our text this morning. We have several main points. And the first one is this. Jesus Christ is the true and only Messiah of Israel and the world. He is the only one who can save a person's soul. Contrary to popular belief, contrary to other religions, uh, Christianity is the only religion where you can get clean and freed from sin and you can be brought into the bosom of the Father. No other religion can claim that. They don't even try because they can't. Because there's only one Messiah, and it is the Messiah of Israel. If you look at the map, that that place is so small. It's a speck on the globe, but it's in the middle of everything. And that's the most prime real estate from way back then to now. Everything that's going on. I'm not, I'm not going to get into politics, but there's a lot going on. Russia and China and Iran and Saudi Arabia, and what are they doing? They're darkened by the delusion of satanic forces, 
And what are they trying to do? They're trying to converge on that little strip of land. That's what's going on. It's in the news. It's there. It, it, this is real time. What's going on? We know Ramadan's going on. Pray for those people. Pray that they would be broken and that they would respond to Yeshua and not to the falsehood of what is being taught in that religion. This is Holy Week. We celebrate this for all the good that has come out of Jesus coming into the world. Again, going back to Jesus being the only Messiah, the only one that can forgive and save and cleanse an individual of sin, past, present, and future, and give them a hope of eternity with Him forever. We have to understand, understand the Mosaic Covenant. This was put into place as a first draft of sorts, if you will. It was given to Israel at, the Mount, at Mount Sinai to show them how to live in relationship to God. But this covenant was conditional. It was based on what the children of Israel did and how they lived and how they acted. And if they acted right, as uh, chapter 28 of the book of Deuteronomy says, it speaks of blessings to that people group if they would keep the regulations. But they had to keep it. It's just like we have the, the, uh, the other truth. They have the Ten Commandments here, right? <laughs> you got to keep every single one of those in the Mosaic Covenant in order to be blessed. Ray Comfort does a great job of going around the streets and telling people about that. And he breaks it down and everybody's like, nobody, nobody keeps them. Nobody keeps one. But this was what was going on. This covenant was conditional. And that's why it was a first draft, so to speak. You see, but if they failed to keep these regulations, in turn, instead of being blessed, they would be cursed. These, these, the children of Israel would be cursed. And, and we've seen this play out time and time again throughout the timeline of history. Think about it. From the exile to Egypt and then to Babylon. And you think in our modern day, think of the Holocaust. I mean, that, there's no coincidences in all those things occurring. That's because they weren't keeping those commandments. They weren't keeping all the regulations. But fortunately, Yahweh, the true and living God, He's all-knowing, merciful, and He's a gracious God. You see, back then, when he established, before the Mosaic uh, Covenant, he established the Abrahamic Covenant, right? Remember with Abraham, when he gave, when he was willing to sacrifice his son Isaac, it was right then that God said, I know that you're legitimate with me. You truly do love me. You truly do seek me above everything. You were going to give your only son, the son that you love the most, the dearest to you. And so God promised to Abraham a covenant. And this was an unconditional covenant. Praise God for that. And this is for all people groups. So you don't have to be an Israeli to benefit from it. You don't have to be born of the bloodline to be receiving it. This is for all people groups. Asian, African, whatever, whatever culture you are. Biracial, five different nationalities. You benefit from it. And Jesus Christ would give himself as their Messiah. Jew first and then the Gentile. Genesis chapter 12 verses 1 through 3. So you don't have to go off of what I just said. Hear it for yourself from the word of God. Now the Lord said to Abram. See this is even before he changed his name. This is how far back it goes. 
Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless all those who bless you and whom and he whom dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. He didn't mince words. He said, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You see, Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant and the new covenant, right? Jesus said, a Passover, this is the new covenant. He's saying, you don't have to be bound by this anymore. It's my flesh, it's my blood that is given for the forgiveness and the remission of sins. And this is what's so important. You see, the Mosaic covenant was written upon tablets of stone like that it was outward right but jesus when he fulfilled the new covenant he says that it's written upon our hearts he writes it upon us upon our inner man our inner person our inner woman what we're really about what we're really comprised of what you can't see that has influence on everything outside of us that's what he writes it on hebrews chapter 10 verse 16 tells us this this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. <laughs> that palm tree, man, throwing me off, man. Throwing me off. It was a good idea at first. I thought it was only going to happen one time. Better not be happening all throughout this message. <laughs> but again, he is the only Messiah of Israel and the world. You see, those who were cheering him as he rode into to Jerusalem on a donkey's colt, they yelled out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Hosanna is a title which means save now. And, and, and that, 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 just that little statement, those two words, that, that's really ultimately the true main point of not only this sermon, God bless you, but the entire Word of God. It's all about Jesus Christ saving. It's not about our work saving. It's not about somebody else saving. It's not about, you know, our good deeds or, 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 or the minor and major prophets. We're grateful for them. We bless them. But it's all about Jesus. It's all about the Son of God having the ability and the power to save now. So the people who celebrated Jesus' entry into the city deliberately applied the Old Testament ideas to him without even knowing it. They should have known. But many of them didn't. It, 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 it was just a, it was a mixed group, kind of like a mob mentality, right? You get enough people together. It's like a basketball game. You go to a Warriors game or a Niners game and, you know, ra really a Raiders game. I know Eric's a Raiders fan. But, you know, people start getting in a frenzy. They start chanting something. Also, or soccer, right? Soccer. Soccer in Europe and, 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 and the Latin countries. I mean, they're going crazy. These people are going crazy. They're tearing down the, the, the stadium, Tearing down fences and gates because they're in a frenzy. They're riled up. Not everybody knows what's going on. They're just they're going with the mob. And that, that's kind of what's happening in our text this morning. Not everybody understood the magnitude of what was happening. But nonetheless, they were screaming out, Hosanna in the highest. They are proclaiming him as the promised one and the savior of Israel. All right. The second main point is this. Sometimes... In life, we don't fully understand things in their immediacy. 
We need to have faith and to trust that the Lord God Almighty knows exactly what he is doing and that he will give us the revelation we need in his time. I'll say that again. Sometimes we don't understand in the immediacy of things what it represents. But God in his perfect will and his perfect uh, wisdom and mercy, he will reveal, he'll give us revelation when we need to know it. We see in verse 16, it states that his disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. You see, when the disciples looked only to the immediacy of things right in front of them, they weren't using their spiritual eyes. They couldn't figure out what was happening. They, they saw things in the physical. They saw things as, as, as they tangibly could see it, and they didn't get it. Remember, they were under Roman oppression, and their whole thing was they desired a Messiah that would strike down Rome and set up his kingdom forever right then and there. Deliver us from Rome. Deliver us from the oppression of these wicked Caesars and, 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 and give us the kingdom of God now. Give us this right now. They couldn't understand a savior that would die upon a cross for the sins of the world. They're, looking, they're like, what? You're going to die for Gentiles? You're going to die for these dogs? We're your chosen people. We don't get it. You're going to die, Messiah? Why? But see, they were looking through the fleshly lens of their thinking, their carnal understanding. They weren't looking from an eternal perspective. It wasn't until Jesus was glorified that they understood what was truly going on. Unfortunately, for some today, they still do not understand what is going on in this world <laughs> They don't know. They don't see spiritually the signs. They don't see the indoctrination of wickedness through sexual orientation and, and, and the Black Lives Matter movement and, and all the political nonsense that's going on, not only in our country, but across the globe. They think it's, oh, it's all good. Inclusion's a good thing. No, it's not. We cannot all be included in the same thing. I'm all for people having rights, but I'm not for people becoming uh, authoritative over someone else for whatever reason. And especially when it comes to the sexual orientation. That is horrible. That is so demonic. That is so demon-possessed. You should not be telling children they could change their sex and take pills to stop their uh, puberty process. That's not right. That is backwards. That is backwards thinking. You see, but so many people are, are, are so blinded by uh, this false angel of light who is Satan that they are deluded. Their minds are deluded and they're delusional and their thinking is not correct. And they will not understand until the church is raptured and the Holy Spirit who is holding back all of this evil from breaking loose and just becoming a satanic, fully run world. Until that time, they're not going to get it. They're not going to understand. They're not going to understand that, 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 that they're lost and their brokenness, they need to cry out to the only one who can save them. But really, the Bible actually says that they still won't know. Because once the church is raptured, God Almighty is going to send a strong delusion upon all those who have willfully rejected Jesus Christ. 
so that they cannot receive the revelation of truth. You see, the, you see the, the tribulation, you know, I, believe, I believe what the scripture points out is before the, the, the seven seals or bowls are poured out, we're going to be gone. And when the seven bowls are poured out, Israel will still be here. Two-thirds of the population is going to die. And it's the remnant of Israel that's going to be redeemed. It's for them to receive this revelation. But for many others, they're going to be so deluded by this satanic spirit that they're just going to follow Satan. Me and you are going to be gone by then. But we already see it unfolding. It's so sad that, that our culture is eroding. And, and not many people are doing anything about it. The only people that can do something about it is the church. But many times we're, we're bickering amongst ourselves a bunch of foolish things. When we should be coming together in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach and saying, no, we're standing for Jesus Christ alone. Jew and Gentile alike, I don't care what nationality you are. And, and, and we want to see people saved. We want to see an outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the nations of the world before this whole thing gets blown away. But back to not understanding the, in the moment for believers. An example of this is found in the Bible. This is why Peter was shown multiple times that, that Jesus came for both Jew and Gentile, right? The Jew first and then the Gentile. Because Peter was so influenced from his cultural upbringing as an Israelite that the Lord had to break him of his cultural bias. So Peter could go deeper in the things of God that he was calling him to. Think about that for a minute, because the same is true of us today. What is it that the Lord needs to break in you to take you deeper into relationship and into this covenant with him? He wants to unleash so much in your life. But if we're holding on to things that don't really matter and he's saying, look, I want you to love all these people. I want you to love people. I want you to care for them. I want you to treat them like you would treat your own body. It's not upon us to save someone, but we should be the first ones running to share the love of Jesus with other people. And if we find ourselves only wanting to share the love of Jesus with certain people, there's something within us that needs to be broken and gutted out of us because that's not the way of Christ. The way of Christ is any and all should receive it. Now, what they do with it is a whole other thing. That's on them. We're not responsible for that, but we are responsible for administering this to them and praying and interceding for them and allowing the Lord's will to be done. How many times have things happened to us in the moment that we fully didn't understand and we became frustrated? We maybe became sad. Maybe we became very angry or maybe we became very depressed because we didn't understand in the immediacy. Why is this happening? Why are you allowing these things to take place in my life? Why is my family falling apart? Why is my career on hold? Why, why are these things happening? Why does it seem like Satan is, is just running away with any, everything? And we're not doing anything. You're not doing anything, Lord. Why? why? But see, we have to look at our circumstances from an eternal perspective and not from an earthly immediate one. Proverbs chapter 3 verses 5 through 6 tells us, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. I was so grateful um, on Thursday, Mark, you had shared some things and um, you know, I, I went and I, I, looked up, uh, I looked up the passages of Scripture and uh, you know, I, I didn't know that about, about Judah. 
And I was grateful to understand what the Lord revealed to me personally about even in a messed up situation, God can work things out. It takes a repentant heart. It takes the it takes it takes the humbleness to say, look, I done messed up. I done made a hash of this whole thing. And yes, there's consequences that that still need to be dealt with. But the Lord is gracious and he forgives. You see, so we have to we have to look at things from an eternal perspective and not allow ourselves to get so caught up in what's not happening the way we want right now. And and, and we just we lose it (laughs) and we're done. No, we're not done. We need to trust in the Lord. We need to believe that he will right every wrong. He will make everything straight that's crooked because he's the only one who can and then keep on moving on. Amen. We must trust in Yeshua with all of our heart and not lean on our own understanding. You see, if we acknowledge him in all our ways, he will give us the revelation that we need exactly when we need it. And I experienced that this week on multiple levels. It's like, seek him. He showed me. It's just about Christ. And now I, 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 I don't have that burden anymore of stressing out and, 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 and being in, in deep prayer. Not that we shouldn't be in deep prayer, but you get what I'm saying. It's like I was hammering something over and over again. And the Lord's just like, it's this. It's this. It's me. Stop tripping. It's me. It's about Christ. It's about, about my son. Make your life about him and everything will work out. Everything will work out. The third main point is this. The pure and perfect light of Jesus Christ puts fear in those who desire to hold their own ideas and refuse to surrender to him. And this is not the fear that's a healthy fear. This is a dread of losing what someone has worked hard to to build up in this life. It's not the reverent fear. Uh, It's not the fear of the Lord that he's great and almighty and and I'm humble before him. This is a fear that I'm going to lose my position and this is what the Pharisees were, were really dealing with. Because in this section of Scripture, the opposition to Jesus from these religious leaders, it was mostly spiritual, but it was also social. See, they didn't like the fact that Jesus was getting a hold of people around them. And Jesus was, Jesus was drawing the everyday people to himself. They're like, no, we're supposed to be the ones teaching them. But it's like they weren't teaching correctly. So Jesus is like, I'm going to I'm going to bring these people to the truth so they can know. But these religious leaders were having a hard time dealing with that. He was in a sense, Jesus was contradicting their traditions and making them look foolish to the people that they intended to, to lead. So their pride was was hurt. They were like, who, who is he? He's a carpenter's son. How dare he say he know the, the law? How dare he say these things about himself? He's blasphemous. He cannot forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins. But little did they know that they were actually blaspheming the Son of God. Looking for a way to be rid of Jesus, some of these leaders knew that the people were starting to refer to him as the Messiah. And so they're like, we've got to get rid of this guy. We got to get rid of him because he's saying things that should not be done. And, and this coupled with the Roman Empire in control of Judea, this would be seen as a rebellion of some sorts. And, and, it, and, it, and it, was, it needed to be met, they thought, with deadly force because they didn't want it to get out of hand. They didn't want Rome to get involved because now it, 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 it interfered with their relationship with them and, and, and their kind of their sanctuary, even though things were very bad between them and Rome. And so there was a lot going on for these religious leaders. So both out of fear and hatred, they looked at Jesus's political threat as justification to have him killed. And we know the story. We know what continues to go on here. 
but because of unchecked pride, bitter jealousy, and selfish ambition, they allowed themselves to think of themselves greater than they actually were. You see, someone who is humbled under the mighty hand of God will see Jesus as great, and they will, they will, they will deflect every, all praise that's given to them, and they'll give it to the Lord. They'll say, it's not me. It's the Lord working through me, and they'll give praise to the Lord. But these men said, yes, praise me. I'm the one who's doing it. We're the ones who are doing it. Yes, we are wise. Yes, we do study the scriptures. And yes, we are the ones who know. They had their position of thinking in the complete wrong order and the wrong perspective. That improper view of themselves led them into condemning Jesus Christ and refusing the only available salvation for them to receive. We still see the effects of this stiff-necked mentality stopping many of our Jewish brothers and sisters from coming to Jesus today because they still think it's all about the Old Testament alone and, and their laws and, and that Mosaic covenant. But that is only a type and it has to be fulfilled and it has been fulfilled. So we pray for them that they would receive the revelation of Jesus, their Messiah. Okay, let's look at these verses now, 12 through 16. It says, The next day the large crowd had come down to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, so they took branches of palm trees. The palm trees aren't going to sound. Okay. And went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. Okay, so we see this first statement about the next day a great multitude had come to the feast. This was the large crowd that came for the greatest holidays of Jerusalem or Judaism, and that, that was the Passover. Many of us know the account of Passover as each Israelite family in Egypt needed to sacrifice a lamb, right, and paint the blood of the lamb upon the doorpost. The angel of death would come over, and whoever's house had that blood, they'd be spared, right? But all the Egyptians' firstborns, man, they're all getting annihilated because, you know, this was God's judgment upon the wickedness that was going on. They, they, Pharaoh would not let his people go. But the fine details are so great in this Passover that that literally point to Jesus as the ultimate sacrificial lamb. It's mind-blowing when, when, you, when, you, when you take the time and are led to, to dissect the, the very details of what went on here. You see, Jewish law required that the Passover lamb actually had to live with the family for at least three days before it was sacrificed. So it wasn't just, you know, we're going to go get this animal and we're just going to kill this animal, eat it, and, you know, no. The, the, the animal had to be with them. Exodus chapter 12, verses 3 through 6 tells us this. It says, Tell the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. 
Notice that the lamb had to be like one of the family. It was loved, right? It was loved. It was cared for. It was nurtured. These animals dwelled amongst their owners, amongst the people, right? And when it was killed, it wasn't taken to the back of the house and slaughtered. When the animal was killed, it was sacrificed in front of the whole family. Little boys, little girls saw that throat being slit, the blood gushing out, the blood curling cry of the lamb as it bled to death. It wasn't a hidden thing. You see, in our culture, we don't get that. We don't realize that all the sacrifices that happened, it must have smelled so much like iron. I hate the smell of iron. But it must have, I mean, they, they, there's studies that, that, there's commentaries that talk about the priest's garments, uh, I mean, being saturated in blood from so much of having to do that on, on the Passover, on, on this day, that, that it, it, it was what was going on. But you see, this was something that all individuals had to experience. Everybody in the family had to experience the sacrifice of the lamb for themselves. It wasn't like, no, daddy did it. I didn't see it. I didn't experience. Only dad saw it. No, dad might have cut the throat, but you saw it too. The spotless lamb was being sacrificed so that they may live. Again, when the angel of the Lord passed over their homes, the spotless sacrifice, the blood of the lamb was seen instead of their sinful blood. The application is this. You and I, we must experience the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ for ourselves. It's a personal thing. It has to be real. He has to be real to you and I. You see, it's not enough to know about Jesus from a distance or from merely an intellectual perspective. That's why I don't just want to memorize verses. They're important to memorize, but I don't want to be in a place where I just intellectually know Jesus. I want to experience him. I want to experience him more and more. So I know and I know that I know that it's the Lord that's doing these things in and through my life. And he's the one that's going before me and battling all of my enemies. We must examine our hearts, recognize our own sinfulness, and understand that your sin and my sin alone placed Jesus the Messiah upon that cross. He died for you. He died for you personally so that you could be redeemed, so that you could be a miracle and have your name written in the Lamb's book of life. This is a side note, but I think it's important to state. When Jesus came and went into Jerusalem, lambs for sacrifice would have surrounded him on every side. They would have been all over. Josephus, the Jewish historian, is on record stating that one year a census was taken and the number of lambs slain for Passover was a number of 256,500. That's a large number. That means all day long, lambs would have been getting up there. That means all day long, these lambs would have been getting killed. They would have been getting butchered. Man, that's a lot. That's a lot going on. But Christ is ultimately the greatest of all these lambs. And he, he fulfills all that so that no longer does there need to be an animal sacrifice. We don't need that anymore because he died past, present, and future for all of our sins. And so we're so grateful for that. And so it's times like this that we come to an even greater remembrance of our redemption and what it's through. It's through his precious blood that was shed. That's why we take communion, so that we can examine our hearts and allow the Lord to show us, hey man, 
I love you, but you're, you're kind of grimy in this area. There should be weeping when you and I go to that back table and get communion. It should never become a flippant thing where it's just, we just do this week in, week out. Now I kind of understand why some choose to only do it certain times. I was led to leave it available for everybody to take every week because, God bless you, grown man sneeze. <laughs> I was called to, to, to make it available for all people that come to this church so that every week you could have that sensitive time with the Lord. But I pray it doesn't become a ritualistic thing where you just do it flippantly or complain about you don't like the way the crackers taste. That's my kids. I'm like... You're missing the point. If you're not going to do it, understanding why you're doing it, don't do it. Because we bring judgment upon ourselves when we take communion in an unworthy manner. So when you go to that table today, recognize what it cost him and allow him to examine your heart. Because that's the way you, only way you and I are going to get clean. You want to be clean. I want to be clean. So be transparent before God. I'm not asking you to be transparent before each other. If you're transparent before God, then you'll willfully be transparent before each other. <laughs> but if you're not transparent before God, you're going to hide. <laughs> you're going to hide it all. And there's only so much cover girl can do and a little bit of cologne and, and whatever. <laughs> so no need to hide. Just come boldly, as the Bible says, before the throne room of grace. And he's, he's willing and just to forgive you and I of all sins and cleanses from our unrighteousness. Okay, they took the branches from the palm trees. This great multitude, they gathered for something that was like, maybe we would consider a patriotic parade. You know, think about, about it like that. They were ushering in somebody who was uh, regarded as great. The palm branches were a symbol of Jewish nas uh, nationalism since the time of the, the Maccabees. I'm not going to get into all that because though, uh, you know, it's useful information, it's not the, it's not, it's not the, the heart of the text. Because I could spend 20 minutes on that, but, you know, read it for yourself. <laughs> all right. Uh, the crowd looked to Jesus as a political and national savior. But again, they were confused. They didn't necessarily see him as a spiritual savior. They didn't, they didn't see that he was the one. He was the Messiah that was granted to them. And they greeted Jesus as king, though ignorant of the nature of his kingship. And that's nothing new. Today, people regard Jesus Christ as a great teacher. I hear many people say that he's a great teacher. Or he was a, a high moral man of, of great character. But they, they are ignorant to his identity as the only son of God and savior of the world. You see, because when you start saying that, it's going to cost you something. People in your family are going to be like, you're not right. You're a bigot. How dare you say Jesus is the only way? I know people this week that I've talked to, they're like, man, they're going through it. Because family members don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear that Jesus is the only way. Maybe in your job. You talk about that, it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you something. But Christ is the only way. We must be willing to stand up for the truth and not be these closet Christians. I'm not saying that, that, that your ministry is supposed to be sit on the corner with a megaphone and screaming that people are going to go to hell. I mean, if that's what the Lord calls you to do, go ahead. I, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I'm not called to do that. <laughs> but nonetheless, it's going to cost you something to claim Jesus as the Messiah. And it, 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 as it did all throughout the word of God. But then they go on to say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This large, enthusiastic crowd greeted Jesus with the words, 
from the Messianic Psalm. In Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26, it says, Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. And that should be all the time. That should be every day of our life. That should be with every fiber of our being all the time. What does it mean to be successful? To be saved by Jesus. You see, we have to get out of the way of thinking that success is coming up in my business, buying a home, sending my kids to college, and that's it. And living a good life and going to the golf course. Those are all good things. They're not bad things. I don't, don't, don't for a minute misunderstand what I'm saying. If you enjoy golf, golf to your heart's content. But what I'm saying is, that is not what it's about. Those are things that the Lord allows us to enjoy. But allow your enjoyment to first start and end with Him. You know, we live in a culture where we're like Adam and Eve and we're trying to use everything we can to fulfill us. We are creatures that are born to be fulfilled. We're born with an emptiness about us. And only the Holy Spirit of God can come in and fill us up to where we can truly be content. And where the Holy Spirit is not filling an individual to be content, you see discontentment of every kind. That's why this young generation, they can't sit still. They're always running to do something, running to this experience, to that experience. Those experiences are not going to fill you. You can go from the ends of the earth and it doesn't matter. It's cool to travel, but going to Paris ain't going to make you fulfilled. Going to China or to Asia is not going to make you fulfilled. Getting designer clothing in, in Italy and Europe is not going to make you fulfilled. You're going to still be left empty. Because only the Holy Spirit can give you the true satisfaction that you and I are longing for. If we learn to be still and sit before the mighty hand of God, we will learn that we can be fulfilled from glory to glory, day in and day out, every day of our lives. I pray that you found that. I pray that you're on the search for that. I pray that you are on the road to understanding that more and more for your own enjoyment in the Lord. Because that's what it's about, church. But we have to unlearn these things that are always pervading us. Always trying to take our attention away from the Lord. And stuck on stuff like an iPhone, an iPad, an Instagram, a YouTube. Don't get your doctrine from YouTube. Get it from the Word of God. What are you going to do when the government says no more Google, no more Internet. All you got is old school book and Bible. When I'm not here with this. And you can't see me on Zoom. What are you going to do? You better be in the word. You better have this word hidden in your heart. Because that's what it's about, church. I'm sorry I went off. But it's a, <laughs> just have this strong urge and desire. To, that the Lord wants to get it through to us. That we need to know the truth. And not in these other forms of the truth. But in its rawest form. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you and me. And that power is in us. We have the power to conquer every single thing we come up against through Him. And if you are a born-again believer, then you've got to know that. We were talking about that Thursday night. Not, not enough Christians know that Christ is victorious in them. And we walk around defeated. Don't base your life on your circumstances. If you base your worth on your circumstances, you're going to be a miserable Christian. I'm not saying that you're not going to have tears of grief. 
and times of sadness. But the reality is you should have an attitude of I am triumphant. And if you don't, you're being deceived by a seducing spirit that's a demon. It's the truth. I cannot, I cannot paint it in a nicer way. It, it, it is what it is. If you get nothing else out of this message, take this that Jesus Christ saves now. No matter where you find yourself in life, Jesus Christ alone has the power and the authority to save you now. Again, it says that he found a young donkey and sat on it. Jesus did this both as a deliberate fulfillment of prophecy and as a demonstration of the character of his kingdom. Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. You see, it was a spiritual kingdom that Jesus came for, not a military kingdom. And even today, I get it. We have the right to bear arms. If you desire a gun and you have peace about it, have your gun. Have your guns. Use them effectively. Be responsible about it. But I'm going to tell you right now, that's not the battle we're fighting. We're fighting spiritual principalities in heavenly places. Your gun ain't going to do nothing when a demon comes upon you. A demon don't care about no gun. A demonic person possessed that, you know, the whole thing that went down in Tennessee, that's somebody influenced by a demonic spirit. And they took that demonic spirit with them and they went up in that, in, that Christian, in, in that Christian school and they gunned down all kind of people. It's prayer. It's intercessory prayer. It's fasting. It's, it's seeking the Lord on, on all these bases. That's the fight. That is the fight because you and I are going to die one and one. Whether I die from a heart attack, a brain aneurysm, or a bullet in my head, I'm going to die. It's not about how I'm going to die. It's where I'm going to go after I die and what I did while I was alive. So we need to understand the truth and not be deceived. Again, there's a deceptive spirit, unfortunately, that has crept into the mainline church. And this is not being taught. And people are thinking it's all about my best life now and this and that. No, the Christian life is super hard, man. This ain't no easy life. It's a blessed life. It's also the best life you can ever live, but it's not easy. And that's why many people fall away because they don't want to thug it out with Christ. But you have to. It's the only way. You see, he came in peace, not war. The donkey was not used by a warlike person. It was an animal for a man of peace, maybe a priest or a merchant. This is a side note, but again, important to note. It's important for us to understand from this point in Scripture, five days were coming, then Jesus would go to the cross. One could only think to himself what was going through Jesus' mind as he was getting ready to wage the greatest war mankind would ever see. I mean, he created the donkey. We sang about it. He came to the world he created. He created the donkey. He created all these people. And yet he's on the donkey that he created. And all these people are around him. And many of them don't even understand what's going on. But the Bible says that he wept. He wept over Jerusalem. He wept over, over, over their, their, their not understanding and, and, and their wayward position. And he knew. He knew he's God. So he knew that a lot of these people were going to tuck tail and run. Or they're not going to follow him. And he wept because it breaks his heart that he sees his own creation falling away. When he's like, all I want is I desire a relationship with you. Come into communion with me forever and ever. And I will give you rest. That's what he says. 
And, and so many people, they, 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 they turn away. They turn away the opportunity to be made whole. Again, he rode upon the back of a donkey. This donkey, again, was connected with a peaceful purposes. A conqueror, on the other hand, would ride into a city on a war horse or at least march on foot ahead of all of his troops. And this wasn't Jesus. But when Yeshua returns, make no doubt about it, he's not coming to bring peace but to administer righteous judgment on all those who oppose him. Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 down through 16 says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but him. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, White and pure were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Man, you don't want to meet him like that. <laughs> you don't want to meet him like that. You want to be part of that multitude that's on the white horses. Like, man, we're coming with the king. <laughs> you don't want to oppose that. I mean, it says in the verse right there that he's coming to bring war. Now is the time to repent. Now is the time to receive the Lord and his salvation. Not then. It's going to be too late by then. <sighs> The king of Israel. It shows that the crowd is shouting save now. The application is this. Once again, this is truly the main point of the entire passage and the whole entire of the Bible, the Old and New Testaments. Jesus Christ alone saves. He saves the Jew first and then the Gentile from eternal death. I mean, I don't want to die. I wish I, I want to be like Enoch. <laughs> I, want, I want to be just taken. I don't want to experience death. But, you know, nonetheless, it's only a physical death that you and I are going to have to face if that be the case. But we will not experience the second death. Praise God. Eternity, peace, love, joy, no fear, no anxiety, no depression. You're not going to have no bones that are weary, no hip replacement. None of that. None of that. I'm serious. No, no diets and all this kind of stuff. You are going to be made whole, complete, lacking nothing. <sighs> Amen. You see, Jesus Christ fulfills the Abrahamic and the new covenants so that we can receive the free gift of eternal life. The Jewish religious leaders couldn't bring themselves to believe that this was their long-awaited Messiah. And the Romans probably felt like they had no fear of this man because this so-called king came without any kind of army or any kind of symbol of power. So, you know, the Romans were tyrants. They were like the bullies. They were like the bullies on the block. It's like, you look at them the wrong way, man. They're slitting your throat. They're doing all kind of crazy stuff. The Romans were no joke. So they're like, I'm not tripping off this dude. What? This ragtag bunch of people, he's got these 12 people with him. They're all scrubby. Nobody's got nothing. The Romans weren't concerned about him. 
But this was the mentality of what was going on from the Jewish people to the Gentile Romans. Lastly, in this portion of scripture, daughter of Zion is a personification of the city of Jerusalem. And it occurs frequently in the Old Testament, especially in the latter prophets. Okay, we got two more verses and we're wrapping it up. 17 and 19. It says, the crowd that had been with him. When he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard that he had done this sign. So the Pharisees, they said to one another, (laughs) you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Okay, so we see here that, again, the reason for the people meeting is because they heard that there was this great sign that Jesus did, right? It was all about miracles right he 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 fed the multitudes he raised the dead he he healed the lame uh he would touch a leper and 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 that person would be made right and he would give uh you know sight to the blind and he would make the deaf hear they were enamored by that who wouldn't be i get it i'm not smashing on them about it because shoot man you know we could be deceived nowadays people's all I'm, I'm healing people and all of a sudden people are doing it what's that what's that is it Chris Angel? Years ago, I'm, I'm dating myself. This is like in the early 2000s. He was in Vegas walking on water. You know, it was just some, it was just some see-through steps <laughs> in the pool. But he's doing it, and people are flocking to that nonsense. Oh, he's a magician. He's great. Like, come on, man. That dude's a charlatan. Get him out of here. You know, satanic nonsense going on. But people flock to that kind of stuff, right? We're mesmerized by the supernatural. And the crowds adored Jesus because they believed that the raising of Lazarus from the dead proved that Jesus could be the conquering Messiah that they longed for. Just think about it. If someone could raise a dead man back from the dead to life, certainly they'd be able to deliver the holy city from the bondage of Caesar. So that's why they were enamored, because they're like, this could be the Messiah. It's like, you were spot on. It is the Messiah. He is here. Question for you and I this morning. What would you say, and this is a personal question, don't answer it out loud, but just think about it in your heart of hearts. What would you say is dead in your life that needs to be brought back to life? What bondages do you need to be delivered from? You see, because unless you are connected to the true vine who is Jesus Christ, all your life will produce is death. Is death. If you and I are not connected to the life source, everything we do is just death. It's death. (laughs) But if you are connected to the vine and you are asking him to renew you daily, you are going to be breathing life into any and everything and every person you touch. You will be used by the Holy Spirit to spread life and not death to everyone you come across. And it doesn't matter if you don't see the immediate results. (laughs) It's just the fact that the Lord is working through your life. People might say they hate you now, but you're still breathing life into them. Now it's upon them to receive that life and do with it as they must. You see, what is it that the Lord wants to resurrect in you and I today? Is it a stronger desire to live for him? Is it to forsake the fleeting things of this life that don't truly matter? Today, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your heart. This last statement, and I'll go ahead and close this message. 
The Pharisees said, look, the world has gone after him. The popularity of Jesus was offensive to his enemies. (laughs) It made them feel that they were accomplishing nothing. And for us that, that, that love Christ, I know we're supposed to love our enemies, and we are, right? I'm talking about those who, who willfully have made their, their decision. You know, King David said it, man, my enemies, man, break their teeth. Those that just, just they, they wish nothing but, but, but hate and death upon God and God's people. You see, for us that love Jesus, it makes us happy to see the enemies of Jesus frustrated. You know, I, I talked about, uh, you know, uh, the, 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 you know, the countries out there right now that are that are gearing up right for what's going to happen in the future. And, and I pray that the Lord would confound their thinking and that their plans would not uh, th- their plans would not prosper and that God's people would not prosper. I pray I pray every I pray every day and every week that no mad person comes into this building and 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 comes in here trying to shoot everybody up. Because it happens all over our country. Well, who's to say that some, some whacked out person doesn't come up in this building and think that they have the right to start taking people's lives because they're opposed to what we believe and they're opposed to what the Bible seems, says about uh, same-sex marriage. We don't believe that it's okay for those things to happen and they could easily say, well, you know what, because you don't think that, I'm going to wet all you guys up. Come up in here. But I pray against those things. I'm not fearful but I pray that the Lord's hedge of protection and his hand be upon us. Not only us, but all these people. It's so tragic when you hear stories about these people that, are, that their lives are taken for what? Because someone has allowed a demonic influence to overpower them and override their thinking. And then they can just opt out and say, oh, I was just mentally unstable. We don't do capital punishment. We, we, don't, we, we, don't, we don't make them pay. We just say, we'll give you uh, 25 life sentences. What's that going to do? That's why, our, that's why our state and our country's in the shambles it's in. Because we don't deal with things the way they should be done. Somebody embezzles $250,000 and we don't, they, don't, they don't pay nothing back. What? That's not what the Bible says. Sorry, I'm going off topic. <clears throat> Those who refuse to obey, but rather plot against the true and living God, one day he will administer vengeance as he sees fit. The Bible is clear that we should not seek vengeance. It's vengeance, it's the Lord's. So we're not to go after and it's trying to gun people down and take people out that ain't living right. We need to just be interceding and praying for them. But like I said before, I do not back down on my statement. I am grateful when the, the plans of the enemy of God do not succeed. You see, just like here in our text, today the enemies of God are plotting, devising wicked schemes, trying to thwart the work of the Almighty. But their dark and foolish thinking is creating their own demise. And they are so blinded that they don't even know it. This is why I love the Word of God. This is why he says, don't take vengeance, because he'll do it. Do you remember the account of Haman and Mordecai? (laughs) Right? I don't want to go into it, but Sal should have got rid of the Amalekites. He's supposed to annihilate all of them. And he kept that dude alive, and he took the plunder. And Haman is of the bloodline of the Amalekites. So unbeknownst to Haman, just in his, his, his already, the way he is, he has already bent on killing the Jews. 
And so he's trying to annihilate them and exterminate them. I'm not going to get into the whole thing. But basically, Esther chapter 7, verse 10 says, So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the wrath of the king abated. See, this wicked man wanted to do something evil to God's people, but yet it turned on his head. And the gallows that he created for Mordecai to be hung on, he hung on it himself. You got these nations around this world that are plotting against Israel and against Christians. I know you've heard in the news all these people being censored, Catholics being censored for saying, we don't like abortion, we don't believe in same-sex marriage. People getting thrown in jail in the UK for praying silently. What in the world? What, are we, what a world are we living in? You can't just pray silently and you're going to get thrown into prison. What are we going to do when it starts hitting Milpitas, California? Similarly, this is what happened to Joseph and his brothers. Genesis chapter 50 verse 20 says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. You see, the Pharisees' words, <laughs> the, the world has gone after him. They were unconsciously prophetic. They didn't even realize what they were saying. The enemies of God don't even realize what they're saying. By every word we will be judged and all of this slander and hate that people are spewing on Christians that are really trying to live in peace and just saying it's sin, it's not right, they are going to be judged by that one day. You see, these Pharisees in our context this morning, they were concerned about a few Judeans who were being influenced. But little did they know that Jesus Christ was conquering the entire world today. May our lives be truly transformed, understanding that God in all of his creation, he loves us so much that he is willing to step out of heaven and earth and allow himself to pay the punishment for our sins so that we can be redeemed. Please let us not forget that. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that Lord, no matter where we turn, you're everywhere. <laughs> We can't evade your presence. So, Father, give us hearts and desires to press into you today, Lord. May we not run from you. We don't have to be like the first Adam. May we be like those faithful saints that saw our circumstances as opportunity to cry out to you more, to engage with you more, to be in a deeper relationship with you more. Because that's why you came. You didn't come so our Bibles could just sit on the shelf and collect dust. Those things should be marked up. Our knees should be marked with calluses for being on our knees in prayer. Our hearts should be bent towards you. May it be said that we are true followers of the faith and that our longest and our biggest heart's desire is to love Jesus and love people. Father, we thank you and we praise you. It is all in your son, Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen.